You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. On today's podcast, we're going to take you round the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and Cordell Stewart. Spotlight the Falcons with Dave Archer, game analyst for the Falcons Radio Network, and provide your playing with science checkdown. But let's kick off the podcast with Peter King of the MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King, from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, always a pleasure. A week ago, you told us the Chargers were going to make the playoffs, and I posed that question about the hierarchy in the AFC beyond the Patriots and the Steelers, and you thought the Chargers were in a prime position. Are you feeling exactly the same way today, coupled with the Kansas City loss on the road, taking on the Jets? Chargers are the third best team, I think, in the uh, in the <clears throat> AFC. But the problem is, uh, you know, it may not end up showing up because, you know, look at the schedules down the stretch. Even though Kansas City cannot buy a win and, and has lost six or seven, they play the next three at home. They've got three out of four remaining uh, at home for whatever that means. Um, what's been crazy about watching the Chiefs, really crazy, is that they're losing their poise consistently. Marcus Peters today, uh, you know, their entire defensive backfield today, uh, just losing their poise. This is not what the Chiefs team usually does. But I will just say this right now, when you look at that AFC West right now with three teams tied at six and six. I think what is so interesting right now watching those three teams is that, I mean, if you look at the schedules, Oakland and Kansas City might have an advantage over the Chargers, but the Chargers, to me, are clearly far and away the best team. So I, I just think it's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating uh, 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 conference right now. Um, with New England clearly, to me, number one, Pittsburgh two, and then the Chargers. And I suppose, I suppose I've got to give a nod to Jacksonville. But at this point, there's still something about that offense that I simply don't trust. Peter, you mentioned the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs have lost six of the last seven. And we watch uh, the New York Giants bench uh, Eli Manning in favor of uh, Geno Smith. Could, could something like that be on the horizon for with Andy Reid with how poorly that they, they played over the past couple of games and now he makes a move to Patrick Mahomes? I don't think he's going to do that, Nick, because of the way that, uh, that um, uh, Alex Smith played today. I mean, Alex Smith was masterful. And you know what he was doing today that – and I blame the Jets secondary a little bit. You know, uh, Tyreek Hill has not been able to get behind – uh, the the deep safeties so far, like in the last say you know three four weeks at least, and and today, uh, Tyreek Hill got got behind the safeties twice, and made the Jets pay. This was a ridiculous loss for the Kansas City Chiefs. <clears throat> in my opinion, they've had a few of those. I think their loss to Oakland was absolutely ridiculous. Their loss to the Giants was absolutely ridiculous. They now, the Kansas City Chiefs, have come into the Meadowlands twice in 15 days and lost to the Giants and the Jets. 
And, I, I mean, that's why I, Kansas City just simply does not deserve to make the playoffs, period. And uh, I, I will be surprised if they do. And as you said, we were watching and going back and forth between the feeds. Just a serious breakdown mentally for the Chiefs. A series of inane penalties as the Jets finally punched it in. Then there were more penalties on the two-point conversion attempt. Taking you around the league with Peter King, MMQB.com. <laughs> Peter, the quarterback change for the Giants didn't change anything. They lost again to the Raiders. Do you think Ben McAdoo keeps his job until the end of the season? I don't. Um, <clears throat> I think the one thing that that uh, the Mara family has always been very cognizant of. I mean, John Mara personally answers, or he, he used to, maybe the landslide will be too much. But he's always taken great pride in answering all of his mail. And uh, I, I think that what that says to me is that he's going to be very responsive to his fans. And if you look at the Giants' schedule right now, three of the last four at home – Dallas, Philadelphia, then at Arizona and home to Washington. So they've got three division games to end the season at home at the Meadowlands starting next week against Dallas. And I have already heard reports today that there could be planes flying over uh, the Meadowlands or a plane flying over the Meadowlands with banners like there were. For you students of history, you'll remember back in 1978 when the fans really wanted to blow up the Giants and everything that they did. And you go back to 1978, and that helped. They got George Young uh, in, in uh, 1979, and he really helped turn this team around. But I think this is a sign right now that John Mara is going to blow up his franchise. I think he's going to fire Ben McAdoo. I will not be surprised if, as Chris Mortensen and Adam Schefter reported today, that that happens early this week. Then after that, I think it's only a matter of time before he completely cleans house and uh, gets rid of Jerry Reese as general manager as well. Joe Flacco was once a Super Bowl winning quarterback. And right now he's somewhat of a shell of himself, nine touchdowns, 11 interceptions this season. But the Ravens are still seven and five. With the recipe that they have right now, are you buying the Ravens as a playoff uh, team? And if they get into the playoffs, can they make a lot of noise? I'm buying the Baltimore Ravens if, and this is a very big if, I'm buying them to be able to play a competitive game in every game that they play if, and this is a very big if, if their defense plays the way it has consistently, uh, especially in about the last two months. And I think one of the things that I see with the Ravens right now is I see a team that is playing very, very well in the back end. Ozzie Newsome, uh, Eric DaCosta have spent a lot of draft capital and a lot of free agency money. Eric Weddle was superb today uh, in, in playing defense against Matthew Stafford. And, and finally, finally, you're, try, you're starting to see some semblance of an offense. You know, Alex Collins, who's a better back than they thought he was in Seattle, uh, you know, had another good game and two more touchdowns. And Joe Flacco used the uh, play-action game exceedingly well around the goal line. So I, I think Baltimore, if they play the conservative kind of game that they played offensively today and they play well on defense, they can win any game that they're in. 
they're just I don't think they're going to be able to win a scoring contest. That's all. And it did not help. They lost Jimmy Smith with the Achilles injury no. today. Peter, great information as always. Enjoy Sunday Night Football. We'll chat with you on Tuesday on NFL No Huddle. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. Listen to Tune In on your time with Tune In On Demand. Jumping on a flight or planning a long road trip? Download episodes of your favorite podcasts or audiobooks. And enjoy hours of great audio content no matter where you are. When you're ready to escape, head to your favorites, hit play, and listen. With or without a Wi-Fi connection. Featuring top podcasts and audiobooks in every genre, save your data with TuneIn On Demand. Download your favorites today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on today's top headlines with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the rap sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, let's jump right in with critical injury updates. What can you tell us about Tyrod Taylor being carted off the field today in Buffalo? Well, we know the Bills are still evaluating this injury. It's a knee injury. Of course, we saw him carted off with a towel over his head. And Nathan Peterman, who very famously or almost notoriously started a game and flopped earlier in the season, he took over. Now, it's an injury that Tyrod Taylor actually had earlier in the game, battled through, then re-aggravated it, uh, ended up being carted off. We don't know the severity yet. He's going to have some tests tomorrow. But obviously, considering that there's only a month left in the season, uh, this does make it uh, probably a likelihood that we'll see a little Nathan Peterman before the year is out. Ian, Matthew Stafford injured his uh, throwing hand. Is a hand that he injured in the past. What's the severity of his injury, and what kind of impact does it have on the postseason potential for the Lions? Well, obviously the postseason potential took a major hit today uh, with a somewhat surprising and kind of sloppy loss to the Baltimore Ravens. Actually had nine men on the field during one key defensive play. Obviously not what you're looking for for the Lions. But as far as Stafford goes, uh, it is a bruised hand. He immediately had x-rays. They were negative. Uh, there was some swelling, so it's a bruised hand. But uh, even though it's a throwing hand, even though it's swelled up, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a similar situation to Dak Prescott, where it looks bad, but then he ends up being okay in a, a couple of days after. Taking you around the league with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, Ian Matthew Stafford, not only big injury in that game. What happened to Jimmy Smith, who's having an outstanding year for the Ravens at corner today? Pretty crushing blow for... Uh, Jimmy Smith and the Baltimore Ravens. He went down with a non-contact injury and is out for the season. He tore his Achilles. He's going to have some tests tomorrow, but with an Achilles, you generally know it right away, and, and it's obvious that the Baltimore Ravens knew it right away, officially uh, going to be out for the year tomorrow. And uh, thankfully for them, they did draft Marlon Humphrey from Alabama, first-round corner, who has been impressive. And ready or not, uh, he is going to assume the mantle of being their top corner down the stretch for a team that really does look like a playoff team. Ian, Leonard Fournette, since entering the league for the Jacksonville Jaguars, he's been their rushing bell cow, but he's been hindered by some lower leg injuries. We saw him gingerly limp off yep. the field. What more can you tell us about his injury? Well, it seems to be the same thing that, that he's been dealing with. And, you know, usually for the Jaguars this time of year, you can be cautious, you can kind of shut it down, you can say, you know what, it's not worth it. Now it is worth it. And the defense is so good uh, this is really looking like not just a playoff team, but a team that really could make a dent. Um, 
you know, so I would expect them to make sure, even though you want him ready for every game, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they did what they did last time, which is say, you know what, you're going to go sit out a game, make sure you're healthy because we're really going to need you down the stretch. But, you know, for a key player for them, high-profile position, he certainly has had a lot of uh, lower leg injuries. Ian, now that Aaron Rodgers officially able to practice yesterday, what would be the potential timetable for his return? Green Bay, as you know, with the important victory over Tampa Bay today in overtime, they're six and six. Well, yeah, and you know, there's two things that Aaron Rodgers' return is, is contingent on. One, his bone needs to heal. He has not had a scan yet. He's going to only get it after the Browns game. So, you know, all these reports about him being ahead of schedule, no one knows because he hasn't had a scan yet. Uh, he is not able to play this coming week. After the Browns game, which is next week, he is eligible to return. That would be week 15. That would be the earliest possible he could return. All of it hinges on how the bone actually heals. Even though he's throwing the ball, even though he looks good, nothing matters except for what the CAT scan shows after the Browns game. And in a huge win over the Buffalo Bills, uh, New England Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski was seen dropping uh, the forearm on Tredavious White, who appeared to be shaking up after the play. W- what kind of looming suspension or fine could be waiting for Rob Gronkowski? Well, I, I would be surprised at this point if it was a suspension. Um, now, he wasn't kicked out of the game, so it does open up that his penalty could be a suspension. But I would be surprised at that. And, you know, probably looking at a hefty fine. Um, Gronkowski also came out very quickly and apologized, which is actually something you don't see very often. Um, you know, and I wonder if the powers that be in the NFL will take it into consideration So you know what, he did something bad, but, man, he came right out and apologized. Um, so, you know, obviously that's something he felt sorry for. Maybe that sort of ends up lessening his penalty. And let's wrap it up with your reporting this morning on NFL Network connected to the fallout from the big story this week in New York, the benching of Eli Manning. Could Eli be pondering retirement? Is that a real option? And how about Ben McAdoo? Could he now be pushed out before the end of the season? Well, first of all, um, I did talk to Archie Manning, who said retirement is an option for his son, Eli, which honestly was something I was not expecting. Although, you know, even even Archie said, like, who knows what the market for a 37-year-old quarterback is going to be? Um, so, I mean, I think Eli is considering all options, but retirement is one of them. And then, you know, for Ben McAdoo, it was instructive when – John Merrick came out and basically went against his pledge to measure things at the end of the season, um, which means that McAdoo might not last the season. Um, you know, could it be tomorrow? Possible. Um, you know, they come out and they, they certainly had, have had a strong first half. Uh, but right now it's very safe to say that Ben McAdoo's job is in jeopardy, even though he took him to the playoffs last year and was a very coveted coach when they hired him. Thank you, Ian. Great information as always. Look forward to chatting with you again on Wednesday on NFL No Huddle. Look forward to it. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. With more than 30 First Play podcasts on TuneIn, you can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows before they're available anywhere else. Hey there, it's Mike Rowe. This is the way I heard it. The only podcast for the curious mind. With a short attention span, we're at episode number 83, incredibly. I'm Jack Hitt. And I'm Chinjirai Kumanyika. This is Uncivil. Where we ransack America's history. And discover that the past is never really past. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, 
and beaming out across all of space and time. This is Star Talk, where science and pop culture collide. Search First Play Podcasts and listen early, listen often, and listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Spotlighting the Falcons with Dave Archer, the former Falcons quarterback and game analyst for the Falcons Radio Network. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time. What were your biggest takeaways from this matchup? Uh, Brian, Nick, good to be with you guys. Well, it wasn't not a a stellar outing for the Falcons, to say the least. Uh, And give the Vikings a ton of credit. They came in as one of the better defenses in the league, both on third down and down in the red zone scoring defense. And that certainly held form because Atlanta really had a tough time converting on third down. They kept Atlanta in a lot of long third and long situations. So Atlanta, Atlanta's success on first and second down was paramount and they didn't handle that very well. So uh, subsequently we saw a lot of third and long situations did not convert, did not stay on the field. And Minnesota held the ball for 34 minutes and were able to, kind of pound out, really pound out a 14-9 win. Dave, Nick Ferguson here. You know, early on in the season, there was a lot of criticism of Matt Ryan and his offense and the ability to score inside the red zone, and Julio Jones had not had uh, any touchdowns at that point. And you look at today's game, a game that I felt that was a statement game for Atlanta Falcons that they needed to win. And once again, you know, no points, uh, not, not mean no points, but – uh, no touchdowns inside the red zone by Matt Ryan. Uh, when you look at this offense and you get a chance to see them uh, more often than we do, you know how, how can the offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian ensure that there are more touchdowns scored inside the red zone? Because what we know is that as you move further into the playoff, the defense that you're facing, they're going to become more stingy. Yeah, no question about it. It's going to be a tougher task. Good talking to you, Nick. And uh, it's a uh... – it's a really a quandary that you're in. We're not very good up front, Nick. This is an offensive line that's that's uh, that's okay, okay. And so when you get against defensive fronts that have the ability to heat you up with four and don't have to bring extra pressure, that creates a problem now because, as you know, seven guys are dropping into coverage. It makes the windows tighter. Um, we had a tough time handling their interior two guys. When, uh, Joseph was was very good. So was Johnson on the interior. We knew Hunter and Griffin coming off the edge was going to be a problem. But if you can stay solid in the interior, Ryan would be able to climb in the pocket and be able to make the throws and be able to stand in there. But they were able to collapse the pocket from all sides, not only from the outside crushing to the inside. They, they did a good job with inside to interior push, and he never was very comfortable in the pocket. So that was number one. Number two, we had a number of guys drop passes. Julio Jones drops a pass. We caught him in a, a man coverage on the first play of the game, we had a slant route to Jones to the left side, and Ryan throws the ball about head high, and it goes right through Julio's hands. If he catches the ball, he may still be running. Uh, Sanu dropped the ball very similar to that. Uh, so the operation, as you well know, doesn't fall just on the quarterback or the coordinator. Guys around the quarterback have to be able to make plays. Certainly Ryan missed a couple of throws in the game as well. But it, when, when you're, not miss, you're misfiring, uh, it, it falls on everybody, and so all everybody has to step up. They did not do that today. They did not play very well on offense. Dave Archer, game analyst, Falcons Radio Network, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Dave, injuries can never be an excuse in professional sports, but how much did the Falcons miss Desmond Trufant today in the secondary? Yeah, true was was probably uh, something that, that, that would have helped them. 
but really you didn't get really beat up in the pass game. Uh, Case Keenum did an excellent job. I think the thing that you missed true more than anything else, and Nick can comment on this being a DB, you didn't contest catches. And so if you've got your starting corners, you've got to come up and play tight. You know this is a guy that wants to take the quick, easy throw. They like the quick game. They like to throw the ball quickly out of play action. And we didn't really contest any throws. So he had clean shots as he hitched up in his in his drop, was able to get the ball out as soon as he hitched up and throw it, as opposed to holding on to it. Now, we pressured him a few times in the first half, and he was able to escape and kind of made, had threw the ball away, did some stuff like that. But we did not do that at all in the second half. I think he would have go 13 or four or 15 for 15 or something in the second half. It was just a, it was a cakewalk for him, a lot of easy, uncontested throws, and Trufant probably would have helped in that area. Dave, it's always a fun-loving game when you watch uh, the Saints and the Falcons mix it up. They have a short week here as they're going to face off on Thursday night football. Uh, what are you looking for in that game as far as what Matt Ryan and that offense can do against what seems to be a, a, a revamped Saints defense? Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see him, Nick, because I haven't watched him much. Uh, so I'm going to take a, spend a lot of time the next couple of days watching him on tape. I know that they've got, they got a two-way going offensively, which if you go back to 09 when they won the Super Bowl, that was when they were at the best, when they can run it and throw it. So that creates a problem, and it puts stress on your offense. So now you have to go score. Their defense back in 09 was a takeaway defense. They, in fact, I think they scored like eight or nine times that year. They're not doing that this year, but they are getting you off the field. So I have to go back and take a look at them. I do know that they've improved their pass rush. I think their secondary is better. They have had a problem covering Atlanta for years. Anytime we played the Saints, I knew if they tried to play man coverage, there's no way they were going to kill a cover. So it'll be interesting to see if that's changed some. I still think that's going to be the case. They're going to have a tough time covering Atlanta. But can Atlanta protect? And then you got to make the throws and catch the football. We didn't do that today. Dave, we know it's a long broadcast day for you, so we appreciate you taking the time to join us on the NFL on TuneIn. I appreciate it, guys. Great to be with you. Y'all take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hey, guys, you're listening to Dumb People Town on TuneIn, and since we're new here, we thought we'd tell you a little bit about our show. We have dumb ears on the ground. Our fans send in stories that have happened, real stories that have happened, and along with our co-host, We Dan, try to break down that material with Dan Van Dan Kirk. Van Kirk, our co-host, breaks it down, and then us and a guest, we and a guest break it all down, and we try and make it funny for you. It is a fast hour and you will enjoy it. It's a riff fast. You can hear episodes of our show uh, a full week early right here on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We're back on NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Cordell Stewart's takeaways from Sunday's action. Cordell, blow your horn. Touchdown, Case Keenum. Back to you. Yeah, yeah. I told you all week long it's going to be complete hell for you, my friend. Uh, if this team goes on the road and get this win against the Atlanta Falcons, I mean, one thing I, I know for sure, two things I know for certain is, one, Case Keenum has really been playing really good football. And overall, this team, based on what they do together, uh, is second to none. Um, this is the same, I think, recipe we may have seen from this team when playing against the Washington Redskins. Uh, this is the same recipe – we saw when they played against the Rams. It's like that, let's play the field position game. We're going to be smart in the sense of how we actually go about our business on offense, not turn the football over. Basically, let's run the football, be stubborn, play good field position, allow our defense that's playing some of the best football, if not the best football 
International Football League by the, being led by Kendricks and company. And uh, let's see what happens. I mean, what, three field goals is what the Atlanta Falcons end up getting from Matt Bryant. Uh, and then they end up holding uh, Matt, Matt Ryan under 200-yard passing and pretty much shut down Julio Jones and also Sunu. So I, you have to commend this coaching staff of Minnesota and what they've been able to do. But most importantly, Case Keenum is just playing lights out. In the first half, he goes 12 of 17 for 110 yards and a touchdown. And he's go, he goes 100%, 13 of 13 for 117 yards. So I think these conversations of wanting to see what he can do, I think is probably over with now, especially after coming off such a great win last week with the Atlanta Falcons, giving Julio Jones over 250 yards of, of, of passing yardage, uh, which was a week that everyone thought the Falcons may have may have arrived. Let's just say that and not think in case Keenum can go on a road to get the win uh, because that's what it's really all which we thought was was a phenomenal display of football. It was one drive, I think Harrison Smith, when led with by the fullback of the Atlanta Falcons, he knew it was out of it was a toss play and Nick, you can attest to this. One thing you don't do is wait until it come to you. You get downhill, you blow the play up, you cause a little, you be a little disruptive in the backfield, and all of a sudden it was a tackle for loss. That's the type of football this team is playing. It's unselfish, uh, and to see these guys be disciplined and how they play on defense, I think it's a big reason why they're having a lot of success. And offensively, they're scoring when they have to. They're not, they're not forcing the issue. They're just taking what the defense is giving them, and I think that's why this team is playing so good. You know, Cordero, I know you're a big uh, Case Keenum guy, so uh, I, I won't uh, elaborate too much on that because I'm sure you guys do that enough on, on the show every week. On uh, <laughs> You know it, don't you? <laughs> uh, no, no huddle. But, you know, one guy I want to focus on is Blaine Gabbert. I, I know going back to the draft, the one thing that constantly sticks out, you know, with me is how a lot of draft analysts were saying that he was the most uh, NFL-ready quarterback between him and Cam Newton, and we see what Cam Newton has done with the Carolina Panthers consecutively. But a guy who you're familiar with, Bruce Aarons, who's now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, spoke volumes of of Blaine Gabbert from what you've seen thus far. They say we remove Carson Palmer from the equation. Could you see uh, the the Cardinals going and staying, rather, with Blaine Gabbert as their starting quarterback moving forward? Well, the thing is, is is players like David Johnson, who's been injured, and that's why we saw Adrian Peterson uh, come in from the New Orleans Saints to to help out just a little bit. I think he would be much better than a Carson Palmer. Now, saying that, uh, when watching him play, two turnovers, of course, uh, which is not good enough for this football team to have a chance to be successful. Um, it's almost like you say, okay, how good is he? Well, what is his upside? Are you going to depend on him to, to be the guy to win the football games, or you want to do it by committee? I mean, the, the best way of playing football is not forcing the hand of the offense by allowing the quarterback to be the reason why they win. Because eight out of ten times when you force the hand with guys who are average quarterbacks, they're going to be the reason why you lose. And that's what I think you're seeing right now with this football team. Adrian Peterson wasn't dressed out. We know David Johnson is not dressed out. And I think now you have no choice but to give the give the scepter to to Blaine Gabbert to be able to go out and, and, and do some of the things that they needed him to do. And and of course he looked good in spurts, but it goes to show you that he can't go out and actually lead a team. And there's only so many quarterbacks in the National Football League that truly has that capability of doing, which is uh, go out and lead a team when you have an average defense and your offense is okay. Players like an Aaron Rodgers, you can expect that from him. 
a player like a Drew Brees, a player like a Tom Brady, a Ben Roethlisberger. Those types of quarterbacks are the guys that we know, if needed, can come from behind and give you quality wins. Blaine Gabbert doesn't fit that bill. And so when you when the question is asked about Blaine Gabbert, what are you asking him to do? Are you asking him to come in and be a field general and just manage the game? Or are you asking him to be the guy to win the games? And I think that's what they're asking from Carson Palmer, which I think is too much at this point in time in his career. And I think that's what you see. That's what you're watching by default because of injuries to the backfield with Blaine Gabbert. To answer your question is, could he be the future? Um, if Bruce Arians doesn't change his approach in understanding that it starts with the offensive line and trying to force and establish the running game, regardless if you want to pass the football and watching the New Orleans Saints, they've been fortunate to have a Camara and an Ingram. Camara is a monster as a rookie. I've never seen a guy can run between the tackles as strong as he can break those one arm tackles, maybe break those two, two hits and still be able to fall forward for a little compact kind of running back that he is uh, part in the pun, but that's the way he runs. He runs very aggressive. They don't have that in Arizona. So to ask Blaine Gabbert to lead the helm the way they're actually calling plays, I don't think no one can fit the bill. You need an elite quarterback to either come into the National Football League or in the National Football League to get it done. So all these cliches and these ways of trying to break quarterbacks down, you know, when you think of quarterbacks in, in the National Football League, Players like the Carson Wentz came from the FCS, came from North Dakota State. He defied the odds, and look how great he's playing. Look at what uh, we could say, even Case Keenum at this moment in time. You know, he's not the biggest guy at stature, but you know what? Because he's been, you know, rolled off a little bit uh, by some, and, and few just say he needs a better opportunity. Well, right now he's taking advantage of that. So now you have to ask yourself a question. Is he a, 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 a starting quarterback in the National Football League? Based on what you're seeing, your answer has to be yes, because he's with a good football team that's building everything around him to give him a chance. So with saying that, Nick, I think if you have a, a, a Blaine Gabbard on your, on your roster, you need a David Johnson and that offensive line to be the reason why you have success and not so much allowing Blaine Gabbard to be the reason why you lose because with the talent they have, they're good enough to be good. It's just what's the approach? What's your philosophy? And if your philosophy is opposite of what the traditional way of playing football, which is trying to run it, and you don't have an elite quarterback with an elite receiver and a solid defense, you're in trouble. So if that's what they want to do, Blaine Gabbert will not be the answer for that team in Arizona. Cardell, I think you're mispronouncing Case Keenum's name. Why are you being so subdued? They just came up with another. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think I need to game? say. I don't. I don't think I need to say anything. I mean, I think everyone under, have understands. Well, the audience is about, always changing. Well, they always change it, but I think the ones who do listen, they know what I like to say. You know, I think they really get where I'm coming from. And because of that, give me the horn, please. Since you guys want it, you know what it is. It's Case Keenum. Case Keenum in the Minnesota Vikings. And Case closed, because guess what? I have a case for you, Brian Weber. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm no. telling you, baby. Wait it's horns me. blowing. When you're it's- tweeting at me, and you never tweet, when you're tweeting at me, I'm doing a seven-hour show here, but thank you. I, I don't mind it. Hey, you know There's what? Cordell doing a victory lap on Twitter. I just, I just want you to know that I'm making you aware. If you're just so happy, happen to be caught game. up with other games, we cover because, all the games on I, first and goal. Because you're covering all the games on first and goal, and maybe a moment in time in the game where you may miss something, and you may have to do a replay. I'm catching it live and in person, and I just want you to know that Case Keenum, Case. 
Case Keenum in the Minnesota Vikings. As short as he is, the man is playing like a giant right now. He's actually playing like a Viking. Case Keenum in the Minnesota Vikings. All right, Cordell. All right, Cordell. I'm going to pull you back for just a second. No, 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 no. You can't pull me back because it's on fire right now. I mean, you know, like, you remember we played the game. We played the basketball game. He's heating up. You know, double dribble back in the day. I remember. When he was hitting those three pointers. He's like, he's heating up. He's on fire. Right now, Case Keenum's on. Go ahead, Nick Ferguson. I'm sorry. Well, well let me ask you another football related question. You know, uh, Matthew Stafford injured his throwing hand as a former quarterback, Again. right? How does that change your approach and how you throw the ball, and more importantly, when you go to hand off the ball to the quarterback? It's, it's tremendously hard because now you have the quarterback that's clamping down on the football. And once clamping down on the football, that pressure, wherever it is, whether it's on top of the hand, uh, uh, on the forepart, the upper part of your hand, wherever it is, uh, it, it's not going to feel good. And plus it's on the throwing hand. So now you have to wrap it up. And, you know, same issue what he had last, last year. I think it was a finger that he had an issue with last year. Now here it is. It's his hand. You see the Green Bay Packers get a win. You're hearing conversations about Aaron Rodgers could be coming back within the next couple of weeks. Uh, this Hundley has really helped this team have a chance. It's something that I spoke about early on that they still have a chance. But not knowing that it would come to this again for this team in the Detroit Lions, as far as the injury is concerned, to the quarterback – uh, it, it could be detrimental to their success moving forward uh, because anytime you're, you're a quarterback that, that all you do is emphasize throwing the football where you don't have a 100-yard rusher again, um, it really puts you in the position to really rely on him. And my question is, can you do that because of his throwing hand being injured again? And my answer to that is, is, is no. And, and if they don't learn how to run the football, again, this is a part of the game. And I think so one, so many people get so fascinated with, with quarterbacks being able being able to throw the football. And I know the money that he just got this offseason lets him be the highest paid player uh, at the quarterback position, let alone in the National Football League, to where they figure they have to rely on him 110%. Last weekend it was his ankle. Now all of a sudden it's the right hand. So now you have a quarterback that's injured. Like he's injured. There's no such thing as he's tough. He's injured because with what they do on offense – they rely on him heavily to be able to be efficient and accurate. And the only way he can do that, I think if he's upright and he's healthy, and as of right now, being that it is his right hand, his ankle on the right side to his right hand, it's going to be tough for that football team, man. So uh, it's going to be important for them to try to figure this thing out to where if they want to try to do something within the division, because right now they are second. Uh, and I think so is the Green Bay Packers uh, with that one. They both – both teams right now are sitting there at uh, six and six, and it, it, it's it's a very up it's a up, it's going to be an uphill battle in my mind um, for this Detroit Lions football team. And the most amazing thing in the world of all of this is this team right now in the Green Bay Packers is sitting here tied for second place with the Detroit Lions, with Aaron Rodgers sitting in the, in the back room over the next couple weeks, wondering if he's going to have an opportunity to play. And what they have left on their schedule over the next couple weeks, they have the Cleveland Browns and the Carolina Panthers. So it won't be easy for them because Cleveland, we saw how they played today against the Chargers, a tough game for the Chargers. I think it went all the way to the very end for the most part. Um, And then you have Carolina, who we see and know is losing to the New Orleans Saints, which the Saints was 8-3 and against the uh, Carolina Panthers as a quarterback dating back to 2004. So it ended up going to 93. But it's, it's a team that's wounded right now, and they have to hurry up and figure it out because both Carolina and Atlanta lost. It, it's, it's, 
it's a lot of great football, you know, moving forward over these next uh, four weeks to the point where if you're a leader in your division, if you don't take care of your business within the next couple of weeks, this week and the next couple of weeks, you may be in a fighting battle with other teams that are close to you in your division. But I think Minnesota has gotten their separation. I think the Saints has gotten their separation. They still got to play Atlanta twice, though, uh, and, and, and go from there. So uh, pretty interesting to answer your question with everything that you guys both have said to me. But Case Keenum is the topic of conversation. Go ahead. Thank you. I like that yeah. we start every sentence and now end it with Case well, you Keenum. Know, you he's know, a preposition. You, you know he's is. punctuation. Yeah. He's just that versatile. Cordell, yeah, two minutes there. left, and Go then ahead. Peter King comes in, and we can't ask Mr. King to wait, especially for you. But you get 15 hours of real estate with me starting tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern on NFL No Huddle. Your Titans were challenged by the Texans, but Tennessee won their 8-4. and four. Jacksonville won their 8-4. and four. You're very high in the Chargers. They're 6-6. Six and six. Kansas City lost again today. In 90 seconds, who's the third best team in the AFC in your view? Oh, man. I tell you what. Right now when looking at it, uh, you know, Baltimore, they play well too. I mean, they're in the hunt. They're not out of it. I'm looking at the Chargers, to be honest with you, as I mentioned to you and whispered to you. I think they're going to win the division. I think their momentum is going to carry them over to win that division because right now the way they're sitting, I like their energy. I like what they're accomplishing. I like what they have on defense and offense. I love it. The two best, second best teams, I would say Jacksonville, and I would give the other maybe to the Oakland Raiders or the Baltimore Ravens. It's, it's, it's tough because Baltimore is moving. They're running the football, defense getting turnovers. You saw the turnovers they got today. Uh, the Chargers, they're playing great. I'm assuming that they're going to win that division because I like the momentum they have. I give the wild card to the Oakland Raiders, and I'll say the Jacksonville Jaguars. Interesting. That, and also yeah. Baltimore, as you pointed out, still very much in the hunt as well. Cordell, yeah. rest the pipes because if you yell Case Keenum 27 times tomorrow, I'm not sure you'll be available to work on Tuesday. I try to be quiet with it, but you wanted to hear it, so I had to give it to you. So oh. sorry, Nick. For, for, for spoiling the moment and not talking about football, but just talking about Case Keenum. Yeah. But that's what he went. Case Keenum! Also, can you go to Twitter and tell your fans to lay off me? I'm getting No, no, up. they're coming Why at you because they're listening. Negative. You keep talking the way you talk, they're going to come at you some more. Keep on with your gibberish. <laughs> they're coming. They're coming for you, buddy. Have a wonderful night, and we'll chat with you tomorrow. <laughs> You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was, it's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast with the intersection of football and physics. It's time for the Playing with Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. And for that, we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Eric Goff and Gary O'Neill. Gary, take it away. Hey, guys, so glad you had us back on the show to sprinkle a little bit of science into your day. So press a button, pull a lever, whichever works best, roll that play, and I'll let the good professor loose on the action. Okay, Gary, and as I reach over, a reminder, you can catch every new episode of Playing With Science and the entire Star Talk lineup one week early, only on TuneIn. 
Let's bring you a big moment in the game between the Bears and the Niners, Chicago shining on special teams. Now let's take you back to Dr. Eric Goff and Gary O'Reilly. Okay, an amazing punt return, something we've seen a little bit of this week. So, Eric, take us through the play and tell us just how far did Kareem go and really run, and why can't the 49ers' defense catch a cold? Well, Gary, when the football left the foot, a 49ers punter, Bradley Pinion, at about the 49ers' seven-yard line, it traveled 54 yards in the air with a hang time of 4.2 seconds. That's a typical hang time and should have given the 49ers enough time to get downfield to defend against the punt return, but their defense had one big problem in its pursuit. The Bears' Tariq Cohen fielded the ball at the Bears' 39-yard line. He was just to the left of the painted 40 on the field when chaos ensued. He spied a couple of 49ers defenders about eight yards in front of him. He then ran a teardrop-shaped path backwards towards the other side of the field. At one point, he was on his own 24-yard line. At least seven 49ers can be seen chasing Cohen with no blockers in their path. The problem is that they all ran as one. Instead of fanning out and covering more of the field, they looked more like a Tour de France cycling peloton or a flock of birds changing directions. Cohen ran back across the field to nearly the spot where he caught the punt. That teardrop run across the field and nearly back to a starting point took eight seconds. He then hit his own 40-yard line and turned on the Jets. He sprinted 50 yards, hitting a top speed just over 20 miles an hour. Slowing to about 15 miles an hour for the final 10 yards, he crossed the goal line nearly 15 seconds after he caught the punt. And Brian, he was credited for a 61-yard punt return, but he ran 119 yards total, which is nearly twice what he was credited for. Amazing stuff, well, fellas. Go, we appreciate that the visit. The science behind the play, and who knew the 49ers were fans of the Tour de France? Just shows you every day is a school day when you play with science. Guys, thanks so much. We appreciate the information, and we'll chat with you next week. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. Make sure to check out the Playing With Science podcast with new episodes premiering one week early, all free, only on TuneIn. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. With more than 30 First Play podcasts on TuneIn, you can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows before they're available anywhere else. Hey there, it's Mike Rowe. This is The Way I Heard It, the only podcast for the curious mind. With a short attention span, we're at episode number 83, incredibly. I'm Jack Hitt. And I'm Chinjirai Kumanyika. This is Uncivil. Where we ransack America's history. And discover that the past is never really past. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. And beaming out across all of space and time. This is Star Talk. Where science and pop culture collide. Search First Play Podcasts and listen early, listen often, and listen today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's celebrate individual achievement with Nick's picks. You're listening to NFL First and Goal on TuneIn. It's time for Nick's Picks. I slam like a wrestler. You're nothing but another notch under my belt. I'm the UNO competitor. 
I will always remain 10 steps ahead of you. Kenyon Drake breathing life into the Dolphins' ground attack, 22 carries, 116 yards, one touchdown, as Miami tames the bucking Broncos. I score points in the primetime, dropping dimes. I'm filling them. I can't go from zero to 60 in no time. I'm killing them. Mike Wallace still proving that he has juice. Five receptions, 116 yards on eight targets as the Ravens are now on a three-game winning streak. My moves are so sweet, just call me the piano man. I get it in like rain, sleet, snow, or snowman. Spin moves, stiff arm, juke move, and I get ghost man. Tyreek Hill, a.k.a. the Mighty Mouse, showing his versatility and explosiveness. 24 return yards and six receptions, 185 yards, two touchdowns on a day. That's Nick's picks. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.